Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I am here with the one and only Dr. Karen Felstead. Uh, she's been on the podcast before. Uh, she's um, amazing. She is a veterinarian and a CPA, and we're talking about uh, doctor compensation. We're talking about how to structure uh, associate veterinarian pay. We talk a lot about um, the competitive landscape of hiring and concerns that people have about, am I paying enough? And how can I structure this so that the doctor uh, wants to work here and also we can afford it? Uh, and, and what are the tips and tricks to make that happen? And so if you like conversations about money, this is a really good one and a fun one. And we kind of weave all over the place. We talk about new graduates coming out of vet school and uh, the salaries they're making. And how do we, how are they going to justify those? And no shade to new graduates, um, but just kind of like, what is the landscape and, and how are these things happening? Because I get questions all the time about, why are doctors getting paid this? And are they really getting paid this? And what does that look like? And how does that make sense for a business? Karen talks through all that stuff. This is a really, really great interview. <laughs> I do have to tell you, Karen has cats and they are very into uh, talking about veterinarian compensation. And so <laughs> you, if you hear things clank and pop and crash down, it's the boys. They're just, uh, they're going to town. But I, I was not about to tell Karen to put them out because I was like, no, this is this is wonderful. And so anyway, you uh, if you hear any chaos, uh, it's the boys and they're uh, and they're having fun. So anyway, guys, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the cone of shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Karen Felstead. How are you? I'm good, Andy. How are you doing? Oh man, I am. I am so great. I love having you here. Uh, I've had you on the podcast before. I always enjoy our 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 talks. You are a veterinarian as well as a CPA. You are a uh, you are an industry mogul. I see you everywhere. You're writing for the Fountain Report, which is a neat little business sort of newsletter. If you're really a, a business geek about vet medicine, you should check out the Fountain Report. Uh, you're running for today's veterinary business magazine. Uh, you're just, you're speaking and just, I don't know. I always, I love talking with you. I get so much out of our conversations. You were just a wealth of information. And so I, I wanted to have you back. I saw a piece that you wrote not long ago about structuring associate DVM pay. And I was looking at it. It's always insightful as always. And one of the things that I have been asked repeatedly in the last couple of months, probably the last year, there's a lot of questions as people are trying to hire and they're trying to hire specifically doctors about how to set up compensation for veterinarians, but then also sort of how to, let's just say, so I'm, I'm going to give a sort of a scenario here that I'm, that I'm interested in. Let's say that I have a small practice, say, say a three vet practice, maybe a two veterinarian practice. And I really want to attract that third veterinarian. I'm trying to grow the practice. I know it's a very competitive land uh, landscape. I think I heard recently it's something like 17 job openings for every veterinarian that's out there. It's, it's ridiculous. And so I, I, I think that there's a sense of, of despair uh, in, in some cases where people go, we're never, ever hiring a veterinarian. And, and I, I kind of, my thoughts are, of course, there's money is important, but it's not the, it's not the only thing. And the way that we sort of start to put together a compensation package, I, I think that that matters. And so, so I wanted to kind of give you that at the very beginning and saying, all right, Karen, I'm going to go with this scenario. 
two vet practice. I want to expand to three vets. Um, I want to, I want to be competitive. I, I know that there, there are some companies out there that are paying big money or practices that are, that are able to pay big money. What are my options as far as trying to put together a, a compensation package that, that will at least make me uh, feel competitive as I reach out and I try to talk about my culture and try to convince someone that they could they could make a home in this special little place that I've built. So so let me open up to you like that. So I think um, I totally agree with you. Money is not everything. Culture, flexibility, hours, schedules, whatever, all part of it. However, if you don't get the money right, some of the rest of that isn't going to matter. If you're paying well, maybe not at the 100th percentile, but at the 60th percentile, you probably don't have to move to the 100th if you have a great culture. But if you're trying to pay the 30 or 40th percentile, um, I, culture isn't going to make up for that at some point. So, you know, I mean, I think right now uh, I had uh, Stacy Purcell, who's probably one of the best known recruiters out there said she hasn't seen a veterinarian get hired in two years that doesn't have a base salary of a hundred thousand. Um, and that's, you know, production pay on top of that. So they're ending up making 150 more depending on their production. You know, new grads are getting between a hundred and 150. So if you're still paying 70,000 or 80,000, you know, that may work for a while because the veterinarian you have in place is either getting something else out of the the relationship so it fits their child rearing or their hours or whatever, or they just don't realize it. But one day they're going to because this information about doctor salaries is, is everywhere. So there's got to be a minimum competitive salary that every practice is offering to get people. And you may have to go above that minimum competitive salary. Sure. But then you also have to build the schedule. You know, people would rather work four days instead of five. They don't want to work Saturdays. You know, they want flexibility in their hours. They want a good culture. So you really got to focus on both. Where, so I know that people immediately have the, have the question of what is the minimum competitive salary? And of course it's going to be, it's going to be regional. Um, but let me, let me pitch you that question. Cause I've seen that recently uh, where people will say, I, I, how do I know what veterinarians in my area are getting or, or where I should even be? What are your, what are your tricks? Yeah, there? I think it's a great question. I do think it's regional to some extent. You know, I, th I think one way you can look at it is you can look at whatever the doctor's production is and take it times 21%, 22%, something like that. So if they produce 500,000, then they're going to make more than a hundred. But the problem you get with some of that, particularly in smaller practices, is maybe they're not producing that much, but they're an essential member of the team because they cover some hours the owner doesn't. You can't say, well, you're only producing 350000 I'm only going to pay you seventy because they're like, I can get a hundred, and they'll make it possible for me to produce, you know, 600000 yes. at practice down the street. So, you know, I think the minimum is a hundred right now, and, I, and and that's a minimum, right? That's not yeah. a what people want. They want 130. They want 150. They want more on depending on the coast that you're on. Yeah. I So I'm really glad that you said that. That whole like this person is is an essential part of the practice. I've seen that a bajillion times and I've never really been able to wrap my head around philosophically how to explain it. Uh, but I have seen people absolutely blast their feet, right, their own feet right off because they'll go and they'll say, you're not producing this this number, which is honestly probably fairly arbitrary. It's, it's the best practice number, but they say, you're not doing this, so I'm going to decrease your salary. And the person goes, well, screw you, and leaves. And, and the fallout is catastrophic. And I'm like, well, 
if she had stayed, you would have saved 20 grand. So you got that going right. for you. <laughs> right. Well, so I think this brings up a couple of things. One, decreasing salary never works, right? Never, never, never. So, and the second thing is, I think sometimes people say, well, the doctor's on production pay, so this is all in their court. They want to make more money. They just need to work harder. And what we don't recognize is that half of making a doctor have the ability to be productive is on the practice owner and the practice management team. So it's the marketing of the practice. It's the hiring of appropriate staff. It's the training of the staff. It's the pricing of the services. So you can't just shove it all off on the doctor and say, you're not producing a much. You're clearly um, lazy because half of what makes them productive is what the practice does. So got to look at all aspects of it. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the vet student uh, starting pay. Just because I'm, I'm really curious, just in your perspective, because I've heard this too, that the starting veterinarians, and we're seeing it in the AVMA numbers they put out recently, like starting pay for veterinarians is going up. So we've got the veterinarians coming out of vet school. And I want to be really respectful of those guys, obviously. We've all, uh, you're, you and I are both veterinarians. We, we, we've, we've been there and you got to come out and you got to cut your teeth and you got to have a first year. Um, but I can tell you, I couldn't generate, you know, 150K worth of business. And I was in a, a really busy practice. I, I went to a place in Washington, D.C., and it rocked and rolled and had great support. And I did very well my first year. But across the board, no way. Like I was said, I was in a really massive, well-set-up hospital to, to generate revenue. Is that the expectation on new graduates coming out? Is Karen, they're going to come in and they're going to be that effective? Is that sort of a write-off that, that a lot of practices are saying, we're, we're going to take this, we don't expect them to make that, and we're going to, we're, we're playing the longer game here, and we're going to, we, we're going to take this sort of financial hit up front to retain them? What, what, what is, what is yeah, the play the, there? Yeah, no, really great questions. I think the practices that do well are taking the longer game, and I think just taking a new veterinarian and saying, you know, we're paying you 150000 so we expect you to produce seven fifty in the first year. One, probably not realistic, but also that kind of attitude means the practice is probably not making it possible for that veterinarian to do well. So part of it is you got to, you, you got to mentor these new graduates. You got to integrate them into the practice. Uh -huh. You know, you have to make sure they get the help and support they need, because I don't know, I don't know about you, but, you know, it took me hours to do a spay when the I first oh. graduated from vet school. You know, you too, yeah. right? Um, oh, yeah. And so it's the practices that do well are the ones that mentor their people and give them the training and the support they need to produce well and to recognize they may not produce 750 in the first year. They should be at least breaking even. The practice should at least be making some money on them, even if it's not, you know, even if they're paying more than 20% of their production or 22% of the production. But it's really focusing on less on numbers. You got to focus some on numbers, but on making it possible for them to do well. Okay. Start, so I really like that point too, the idea of being, if you're pushing a, a new graduate to generate that type of revenue, then they're, they're, they're not taking their time. They're not getting mentored because they're pushing to produce, produce, produce. And ultimately that's, that's negative. I, I think that that's insightful. Um, talk to me a little bit about how we set up compensation for veterinarians. What kind of, what, what are the, what are the different strategies? I think a lot of times people act like there's one way to pay a doctor. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. Let, lay out for me some of the different strategies you've seen. And then I want to kind of talk to you about your personal preferences. So, you know, right now, and it, it depends on what 
data you see, but maybe 60% of practices are paying some kind of production pay. The rest are either paying salary, hourly, daily rates. Um, but let's say the greater majority is doing production pay. And, you know, historically, we just did one production percentage, you know, so 20% of all of your production. You know, I think you're seeing, I do think percentages are going up somewhat. So now maybe it's 21% or 22%. And you're also seeing some split rate production. Um, so they get less percentage if they do product, you know, for product production and they get more for services. The biggest thing that I would say here, though, is you can have this most perfectly designed pay system, production or any other kind, but if it doesn't come out to a competitive salary, it doesn't matter how philosophically perfect it is. You're not going to be able to keep those people because they can go down the street and and make more money. So, yes, I mean, you can design your production system so it encourages veterinarians to do the kinds of things that that you want. And to be fair to the practice as well, don't get me wrong, except unfortunately right now, you know, it's a seller's market, meaning the the veterinarians looking for jobs. And so they just, they have more, they have more ability to influence what happens. It kind of doesn't matter what a practice owner thinks about it. So uh, <laughs> that's if hard, you hire somebody, hard you can always truth. not hire somebody. It's, but it's true. It's, it's true. It's, 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 it is, but it's hard truth, you know, and, and I, I work with medical directors all the time who, uh, you know, it's um, managing people, <laughs> managing people when they're like, I don't like what you're saying. I might go work somewhere else. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it is so, and again, uh, pro props, props to the veterinarians to, you know, like not, not trying to, to, to throw shade, but it, boy, it really does make it challenging for, for either side to have much, that much leverage. Now, I, I, I remember times when the, when the hospital had all the leverage and, and so that, that was not any, any better. It was just a, that's not goody. No, a no. Different thing. Exactly. So it needs to be a balance. It needs to be a balance. And whenever it gets out of balance, you start, it, it becomes challenging. And so I, I think it's, it's just interesting that way, but boy, I, I see, uh, I see a lot of, a lot of medical directors who, who wrestle with that. Uh, let me ask you, can you give me, cause you mentioned split rate pay. I thought this was going to be more common than it is now, Karen. I remember about eight, nine years ago we um pay for veterinarians there was there's more and more products that were coming out that were sort of high-end products and they were they were fairly low margin project products meaning uh practices would carry these things and but they didn't seem to make a ton of money on them but they were very important to have or they really tried to keep the price down on them or they were highly shopped and veterinarians were like, we're going to try to, we're going to price match here. We know people can order these products online. And so paying the veterinarian and, you know, their standard 21% or whatever is not going to be feasible. That practice has not grown like I thought it was going to. What, what did I get wrong? Or did I, or, or did I get it wrong? Well, no, I think that's an interesting comment. I don't think split rate production is the be all and end all of everything. You know, conceptually, I, I mean, I more or less get it. You can say that the margins on products are not what they used to be. So we're going to give a, a less of a production pay on that. But most of the practices, in fact, all of the ones that I've seen that do lower on product production do higher on service production. Right. And I think that comes back to my point is that it has to balance out. You know, if, if the going rate for a veterinarian in your community is 150, you got to get to 150. I don't care if you do 
twenty percent of you know the the whole doctor production, or you do ten percent and twenty two percent, or whatever, you still got to get to one hundred and fifty. I'm not sure that we know what the the best split rate production number is. I'm not even sure there is a best number out there. One, you know, and I think if you have a doctor who is slacking off on services and selling more products, which means bringing in less profits for the practice as a whole, I think there's a conversation to be had there about the quality of medical care. Right. And I'm not sure you deal with that with a compensation model, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. There's, um, there is a tendency in, in certain types of people in our profession. I think where I think it's, I, there's a lot of people who don't want to manage other people, right? Like they, they don't want to have the hard or the uncomfortable conversation. They'd rather, they'd rather restructure the compensation package. And not have to talk to anybody ever. And right. not have to say, hey, look, man, what you're doing, this is not in the best interest of the of the That's pet, right, so of the, the pet. Uh-huh. Hey, friends, don't miss out on your chance for an hour of free race accredited CE. Thanks to our friends at Hills Pet Nutrition. That's right. On August 24th at 1030 a.m. Pacific, that's 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. Dr. Andy Rourke is going to be joined by Dr. Valerie Parker, who is a DACVIM SAIM in nutrition, and she is going to be diving into a comprehensive overlook on chronic kidney disease, how it develops, the consequences on the body, and clinical symptoms. And then her and Dr. Andy Rourke are going to dive into the components of therapeutic renal food and talk about the benefits that it can offer for patients with chronic kidney disease. They're also going to talk about current CKD management recommendations. Now's your chance. Don't miss out on your opportunity to enhance your knowledge of chronic kidney disease management. Again, head over to the website at drandyrourke.com. That's drandyrourke.com forward slash back to school. Can't wait to see you there. Well, that's the whole production pay is like that, right? Because yeah. Because I think owners were like, if I'll just put them on production pay, that I have no responsibility for how well they do. It's all on them. No, sorry, that's not how yeah. it works. I've I've seen that. I've seen that so many times. But yeah, that's I I think that's why production pay was so popular. In it's still very popular. But it's, it's so popular. popular. But it was like I, for a long time we had less emphasis on management, you know, in our training and stuff than we than we do now. But that is kind of the idea of is if I set this production model up the right way, then I don't have to manage Ever. performance, right? Like they're they're self interested to me, right? I I. I worked, I, I did an externship with this guy and he was in Tampa, Florida, and he had great practice. I really liked him. He's a super, he's just an interesting guy. And I remember as, as a vet student, I was there and I, and I, I said, you know, do you pay the doctors on production or only on salary? And he said, well, they're on production. He said, but we've done it both ways. And I said, okay. And he said, he said, here's the difference. When I, when I pay him on salary at the end of the day, and there's appointments waiting to be seen. I have to go chase them out of the doctor's office to get them to see the last one because they're all trying to lay low oh, and not get home. the last. Right. They all want to go home. But when I pay them on production, I don't have to they're chase them out of the doctor's yeah. office at the end of the day. And yeah. that's, that's the answer. And it's, it's a silly story, but it actually really spoke to me as far as like, that seems, that seems, a, that seems about right. Um, but, but ultimately you, you still, you still have to, you still have, to, I, I really like this point of you still have to get there. Yeah. I, I think you answered my question of what did I get wrong? What I got wrong was Andy, if you, if you, re, if you do split pay and you reduce uh, payments on products, you, you're going to increase them on services. And I, I always, I always imagine that too. And it's just ultimately 
it's probably just a more complicated way to get to the exact same point. And so just do it. I'm not opposed to split rate production, but yeah, I'm not sure there's all these magical benefits and it's definitely more complicated in how you, in how you administer it. I, I have definitely, uh, as I've gone on in my career and, and run a, run a, a growing business, simplicity has, is underrated. Simplicity is underrated. Totally. So when we get in these conversations and we start talking about, you know, compensation and production, things like that, uh, you know, I always think of one of the ideas we always have to kind of bring back around is we need to talk about compensation holistically. And so we say, oh, you know, this is sort of a base and we've got production on top of it and it's this percentage and blah, blah, blah. But there's a suite of other pieces that come along with this. How do you how do you look at things like like medical, like uh, like the 401k, like vacation time? How, how does that stuff factor in? Do you have rules of thumb where you say, I look, you know, I look at this when I, when we start doing time off or or do those things? I mean, surely those things factor into the package when you're putting together. I, I think a lot of people say. I don't know how those things square up. Help me see the the bigger picture yeah. of compensation as a piece. Yeah. Of that. So I there's been a rule of thumb out there forever. I've honestly personally never really used this rule of thumb, but I'll throw it out there because people talk about it. You know, and they've said that the total of W two compensation plus the cost of benefits should be about twenty five percent of production. And some people throw workers' comp costs in there. Others don't. It's not a perfect rule of thumb. You know, I don't really do that. I think you have to look at the cash W-2 compensation separately. And then benefits cost what they cost. And, you know, sometimes employees take advantage of benefits. Sometimes they don't. It's like sometimes people are on their spouse's health care, so they don't do the practices, whatever. So I, I don't tend to look at that 25%. I look at Okay, what do I have to be? What do I have to pay to be competitive in a cash standpoint? And then what are the typical benefits in the market? And that's going to be, you know, health insurance and it's going to be 401k's. But I think the one you have to focus on the most is one, it's the schedule that the veterinarians work. So I've seen more practices being closed on Saturdays. So people don't have to work Saturdays and that's attractive. And then, you know, people are getting more vacation or they're working. Um, three or four days a week, you know, 35 hours is now a full-time job instead of 45 hours a week is a full-time job. Um, and they're, they're, that's very attractive as well. Or they're getting more days off, you know, whether it's how do it as PTO or do it as, you know, separate vacation or whatever. So I think you have to focus on the scheduling, the day-to-day scheduling of what days a week people are going to work, but you also have to work at that, look at that time off as well. Karen, uh, this has been great. Are there any last thoughts? Like when you look into your crystal ball, do you see changes coming in the future? Do you think that there's going to be uh, shifts in the way that veterinarians are compensation? You know, this is really interesting. So I heard Matt Saloy, who, you know, who used to be the Mm -hmm. chief economist at the AVMA, he gave a webinar maybe a year ago, and he said he thought this difficulty in hiring was going to be a 10-year problem. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's awful. 10 years is a really long time, right? And, and of course, obviously, as long as it's hard to hire people, that's going to push salaries up. You know, are we over the hump of it? I don't know that we're over the hump. Are we at the height of it? Maybe. Practice owners are going to have to pay what it takes if they want to have another veterinarian. But what they need to think about is that 
one, if you can improve productivity and efficiency in a practice, you may be able to have growth even with the same number of veterinarians and team members that you have. And there are also other ways of improving profitability. So better marketing to bring in more clients or the productivity and efficiency or controlling your expenses better. And so we also need, you know, bottom line, what we care about is the amount of profits in the practice, not just the total revenue. So the practice needs to be looking at how can I make revenue be as strong as possible, or excuse me, make profits be as strong as possible. And some of that, a lot of it is about doctor productivity, but not all of it. That makes sense. Over the last five years, we've had an influx of private equity money into the profession. We've had, we've had outside investors coming in and a lot of these companies that have taken private equity money uh, have been have been focused on buying practices and, and growing and just growth, growth, growth. And it's been my perception as I've looked at, first of all, we saw multiples that, that were being paid to buy practices that just seemed unhinged from reality as far as what was being paid in order to have agree. And I, I think there was a microcosm of that in doctor pay to some degree. There were there was always these stories that you hear about doctors being paid exorbitant amounts of money to go and again no no shame on them right, but right. but but yeah hey if Depends you get on it, your viewpoint <laughs> yeah exactly I, yeah, no criticism but 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 doctor salaries and of course we heard that and we say you know well th this group was paying or these people were paying this amount for for paraprofessionals as well as doctors and and, and owners would say I, you know, I can't i can't get anywhere close to that things like that and and i've always sort of comforted myself when i looked at, at business and i looked at medicine to say the numbers got to work and really, in that way, we're all kind of playing the same game where, where you've got to make the numbers ultimately work. And, and different people have different advantages and, and different uh, because of, of where they are, their geography, their corporate structure, the amount of money they have behind them. They, but ultimately, you're still kind of playing the same game of we've got to set it up so that the numbers have got to work. But Karen, it felt to me in the last couple of years like there have been groups where the numbers didn't have to work. The idea was we are going to grow, grow, grow and actually putting people into place and paying them a salary that they would ultimately earn back or that we expect them to earn back. That just didn't seem to actually be the plan. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? When I say that, do have you, have you thoughts think like that? Corporate groups that were not expecting as much in production from their doctors. Is that what you're saying? I think, I think so. I, I think basically what, I, what I'm sort of trying to say, and I'm not the established groups, but my perception was that there were groups that had a significant amount of money behind them and they wanted to grow and part of growing was i don't care what it costs oh get yeah. practices get doctors get support staff and a lot of other practices would would pull their hair out and say how are they paying these numbers how does this come back around and make financial sense in the end yeah and it, it was very convoluted way that to, to sort of try to get your head around it but to me i felt like this is it almost felt detached it, it was definitely detached from any sort of short term i totally agree long-term reality is, absolutely exactly yeah so so i so i looked at that and, and then go this is it felt strange to me i feel like i'm seeing less of it now yeah do you I think, think that that's a fad that kind of went, came and went? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it was up there with those multiples that we probably hit a peak on multiples a year ago. I mean, it's still a strong market if you want to sell your practice, but it's not the multiples that were there a year ago. But yeah, I think that there is, I think corporate groups are paying less because the multiples before were not realistic, not sustainable. 
And I think I do think there's definitely higher expectations. I think they're willing to pay high salaries. And there's evidence out there that, I mean, they're not just anecdotal evidence, but some some numbers that ABMA pulled together that shows on average corporate salaries are higher than individual practice salaries. But I think there's definitely a higher level of expectations now than for those higher salaries you're going to have to you're going to have to produce more. I think all of the corporate groups are focusing are being forced to focus more on operations as well. And for, sorry, my cat is just driving me crazy. Um, are are they're recognizing they've got to focus on operations yeah. more I'm than they did. I'm starting to see that as well. That that absolutely lines yeah. up with what I'm seeing. All right, excellent, Karen. Thank you so much for coming on and talking through this stuff with me. I I always uh, love our time together. I do too. Where where can people find you? Where uh, do you, first of all, do you have any resources on this topic that you really like? You've mentioned a couple of different things, but anything that you're reading or you'd point someone to who want to understand compensation better? You know, I'm not sure there's any one great resource out there. You'll certainly see webinars, conferences will have sessions on compensation. Um, articles in, say, Today's Veterinary Business, you mentioned that. And I've written some of those. Other people have written some of those. So I think a Google search will unearth some of that. You know, right now, a lot of it, though, is about paying attention to what's going on in your community because, you know, hiring is local and it kind of doesn't matter what the average across the United States is. It matters in Richardson, Texas, where I live, what's being paid for, whether it's staff or, or, or doctors. And if they want to find me, my company name is Panthera T, which is P-A-N-T-H-E-R-A-T. It's Pan the Rat, which was an unfortunate, um, um, that wasn't a, that was an unintended consequence of the name that I picked. Um, Panthera T is actually short for Panthera tigris, which is the genus and species of tigers. But PantheraT.com is the website for my company. And I'm Karen at PantheraT.com. So happy to answer any any questions on this. Love talking with you, Andy. We could talk about or we could talk about this for another hour. You know. Oh, I know. Yeah, I always have to rein it in. That's awesome. I'll put a link uh, to to uh, Karen's website uh, in the show notes so they can find uh, so they can find you guys. Thanks for being here today. Take care of yourselves, everybody. And that's it. That's what we got for you. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Karen for being here. As always, if you got something out of the episode, please leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcast or share the podcast with your friends. Gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.